1: On mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you have
0: fun with that. Like song Hello, and my welcome song back. Mark Daly like and Tim like Haraney here man. to wrap up another weekend of Formula One racing at the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. Tim, how's it going, buddy? You you look like you've had a busy, busy day. I see that that look in your eyes that is just like, I got a couple more things to do and then it's couch time or bed or whatever.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think uh, we're recording this at around 9.30 p.m. East Eastern time and 630 just, Pacific time. Yeah. So uh, I've been going since uh yeah, about seven thirty this morning because we did uh F1, then some media stuff, then IndyCar, and then uh yeah, on the podcast uh on the on on podcast for Monday we've got uh Will Power who just won the championship in IndyCar and uh, runner-up Joseph Newgarden, we got him, and we have Alex Palou, and we also have Rookie of the Year Christian Lundgaard and Bobby Rahal. So very just, cool. Uh, very yeah, cool. editing all of that audio together as well. So yeah, it's been a. Busy day. It's going to be a late night. So, but I, hey, I love how you uh, kind of like
0: casually name dropped all that stuff into the t- beginning of the Promotion. plot there, but awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you yeah, know, We were joking off air that before we sat down, it's just like, doesn't Will Power have the best name <laughs> yeah. for like a racing driver? I mean, I can't get over it. I mean, uh, that, that's, you know, is, is that his real name? It can't be. It can't. It is. I'm, well, I, it is but, I, you know, Yeah. Still. Like I,
1: I've known Will for a really long time. So back in the champ car days when... Yeah. He was with, uh, oh, what was the name of the sponsor? I want to say it was like Australian Vineyards or or something like that. I, I can't remember what, exactly what they were, but, um, yeah, no one have known from him, him for, for quite a long time. But at the same time, I mean, the race on the IndyCar race on Sunday, man, was no joke. It was awesome. I mean, you had Joseph Newgarden, who was second in the championship. He started 25th and he came back to win, or sorry, to finish uh, second. Alex Pelot obviously won, but, you know, he needed, Uh, he needed willpower to finish like you know fifth at that point when joseph was running second and will was running third and it was just it was bonkers man it was such a great race such man, a great y- race you
0: just ruined things for me i got that ready to watch afterwards but i i guess i ruined really? it for myself oh dude i've been out all day literally oh
1: sorry man so,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's my own fault i i knew that you uh, once you know i know how much you love talking about indycar as well so i <laughs> i should have really i should have like listened to that little voice in the back of my head but it's all good uh, <laughs> I, I i'd heard it was a good race so I. I like really, it yeah you should yeah. Still,
1: still watch it still watch it daily you, you will like it it's a good race
0: yeah so so now we kind of have to wade into the whole italian grand prix thing which you know kind of mm-hmm. is usually like one of those calendar events i love the track love the event but, you know, it kind of yeah. didn't really live up to the no. expectations we, we usually have. I mean, we've seen some phenomenal races at mm. Monza over the years. I mean, last year we saw Danny Ricardo win there. I mean, which mm. was completely unexpected. I mean, there was a couple of years ago when Charles Leclerc there was a Pierre Gasly win there in 2020. So I guess every once in a while you kind of have to take the good and the not so good. And I guess this is just one of those kind of like off years that kind of like resets everything. And then hopefully when we go back to Monza in 23, that'll be like, Oh, it's got to be better than the next year. So, you know, now that I guess I've kind of ruined it for everybody else. So this is where all the listeners just sort of tune out (laughs) right here. But why don't we, before we talk about the race itself, why don't we talk about qualifying? Because, It really does bear talking about, because I thought that qualifying to a certain degree kind of set up what looked to be or should have been an interesting race. And then unfortunately, like we saw, excuse me, at Sanford at the Dutch Grand Prix last week, we're just at that time of the year where guys are having to change out components and power units and gearboxes and everything. And it really kind of messes things up because, again, we saw basically 50% of the grids, ended up taking a penalty in one form or another. So the two Aston Martins, which were, I think they were supposed to start, what, row nine, if I seem to remember? Because they, like Lance and Seb, did not qualify well. It was another stinker of a weekend for them. So yeah, they they qualify on row nine. Yeah. They end up sort of like... Yeah, P17, P18, yeah. Yeah, and then by the time everybody's taken their their penalties, they're sort of halfway up the grid. I mean, the way that it, it 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 played out after Q3, you got Charles on pole, and then you got Max behind him, then Carlos, Sergio on row two, Lewis and George, all Mercedes row three. Then you got Lando and Danny Ricardo on row four. Then you got Pierre Gasly and Fernando rounding out. Uh, the top 10 qualifiers in row five and in ninth and 10th, and you get to the starting grid. You got a row one of George, or sorry, uh, Charles and George, then Lando and Ricardo on row two, then Pierre and Fernando are now in row three. Then you got Max and Nick de Vries. I mean, Nick, what a great weekend that guy had for filling in for, for Alex Albon. Then you got Joe Guan Yu and Nick Latifi. I mean, you got the two Williams up there in, in in the top 10, which is completely, you know, what we expected. And then, like I said, then in row six, you have uh, Seb and Lance, who didn't qualify particularly well. So we talked about it briefly last week after the Dutch Grand Prix. And I think we've talked about it maybe once or twice before, but it's almost getting a little bit comical and, you know, I'll respect to the way that the rules are set up and the, to keep the cost in place and well, having the mushroom, but it's, it's almost a little bit farcical at this point. And I don't really know of a better way that they can do it, but maybe there's gotta be something they got to look at because, Again, you know, Max, he's got a deficit. And as we've seen over the past couple of races, whenever he seems to be faced with a deficit, it doesn't really seem to make mm-hmm. a difference because he's just got the power behind him and the car underneath him to almost negate all that. But it just, it doesn't look good. Optically, its it looks a bit odd. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way.
1: Well, yeah, if you're new to Formula One and you tune in and you see a guy who just kind of blows through the field and by what, lap two or three, he was already in a podium spot. I mean, that's not that exciting. Like, I think at the end of the day, one of the things that I feel that they should look at is with these engine penalties. And yeah, we can start there obviously. And then we can kind of, I think, get into the dominance uh, a little bit later, but with the engine penalties, I really do think that they should look at penalizing the team And not so much the driver. And this is something that I've said before and just penalizing points like in, in the constructors and, you know, that'll clear some of this up, but it'll also, um, it'll also make this a little bit more competitive if you, if you look at it, because now you're just swapping out engines for the sake of swapping out an engine, because you know, Mm -hmm. you can. Take a five-place grid penalty, no problem, and you'll win the race. You still know that you've got that edge over everyone else, and it's a big edge. So, why not just go and do it? Well, what happens if you dock that team championship points for having doing that, right? Because then let's not forget. More Sorry, serious. just to
0: jump in there. Um, let's not forget that points equals dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, you're literally taking money out of the, the, the exactly. team's pockets. So that that that's one thing. And one thing I've tossed around in my mind, I don't know if this would actually like work or not, but maybe this is some maybe something we can try and unpack. Why not? add like a time penalty onto the driver at the end of the race, maybe a five second or a 10 second penalty. I, I don't know if that's fair or realistic, but let everybody start the race where they qualify and then, you know, throw five seconds onto their time at the end of the race. I mean, some c- circumstances it won't, but I don't know. I'm just sort of trying to think outside the box because I, I like your idea, like like hitting the team with with uh, deducting points in the constructors, but maybe from a like, Almost a what what do you want to call it a a showcase point of view that in a particularly close Grand Prix it could make it kind of interesting and have the teams think on their feet
1: again at the end of the day. If you if you look at it again, we'll use the the new fan who comes to Formula One and they're watching qualifying and they see Charles Leclerc qualifies on pole and Max Verstappen is second, but then they tune back into the race on uh Sunday and then all of a sudden Verstappen's starting seventh and for the fan they're probably just like well what the hell just happened you know why did Mm -hmm. that happen and i think at the end of the day you're just confusing the the fan base i mean even for folks even for the teams like the teams couldn't even figure out where they were starting uh for sunday's race uh by the end of saturday night like even they didn't even know because it was there was so much that went into factoring in all of these rules so if like even the the teams can't sort that out how do you expect the fans to like sort to sort through all that I mean it's very confusing and I didn't even see any um journalists or analysts get it right I mean Crofty um gave what he thought was going to be the starting grid for Sunday's race and he was way off, right? Like it was just (laughs) that complicated. It was that complicated, right? Like it was so much that goes into it that it's like, Oh my God. Right. I mean, I, I I just think there's a better way of doing this without complicating things and making it even that more confusing for everyone, even those who cover the sport. And I think at the end of the day, you got to find a way of, I think, just hitting the teams instead of hitting the driver, because it's not necessarily the driver's fault that, you need to replace an engine. The driver didn't build the engine. They didn't blow the engine up or any of those things. So why is the driver being penalized?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, like one thing that we saw, like uh, in the race, kind of jumping ahead, is uh, Kevin Magnuson was given a five-second uh, time penalty for gaining advantage at uh, turn one. I mean, fair enough. He cut the corner, he gained a position, he didn't give it back. By all means, slap him with the penalty. I mean, th- that's completely fair play, right? But uh, yeah, I, I you know, I love where you're going with that and saying, you know, like make it a team penalty rather than 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 a driver penalty. Okay, so let's talk now about uh, qualifying. We went over the top ten uh, just now and you know like everybody else, I was uh, com- completely discombobulated when I saw the actual starting grid because I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's completely different than what I expected. But there are a bunch of uh, performances that we saw during qualifying that uh, that bear mentioning. Ferrari looked uh, very, very strong. It looked like uh, that uh, Red Bull even couldn't match them in qualifying trim. Then uh, you have uh, a pretty decent uh, outing from the two uh, McLarens, 7th you know, and 8th. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Ricardo, mm-hmm. pretty much he, he didn't beat uh, Lando in qualifying this, uh, this time out, but he was pretty close to uh, his times. I mean, uh, Lando set uh, a Q1 time of 122.130. Danny sets a time of 122.139. Q2 is a 121.831 for Lando, a 122.855 for uh, Ricardo. And then he's a little bit off in Q3. Uh, Lando sets a time of 121.584. And then Danny sets a time of 121.925. So about three and a half Half tenths, but uh, you know, it it was very much um, Ricardo saying, Okay, Lando, anything that you can do, I can do as well. So I I thought that was it was a bit of a statement from a guy that's going to be walking away from that team at the end of the year. And then, obviously, I think a guy that turned a lot of heads is uh, Nick DeFries, who was filling in for—I was going to say Fernando Alonso, but that's why he's the wrong guy, wrong team. Uh, Alex Albon and Williams, who had appendicitis this weekend, and before all the, uh, the the shenanigans and the mix-up and the the complete rearrangement of the grid. Nick in his first race weekend in a Formula One car qualifies in Q or sorry, in P13. Talk to me about that because I I was impressed.
1: Yeah, really good performance um, from Nick. One of the things is that this isn't new for him. I mean, Formula One might be a little bit new, but at the end of the day, he's been running sim work all season long for... Not only Mercedes, but I'm sure some of these other teams as well. So they can he can get used to their procedures. He's already been in the Williams car once, and that was for a full practice session. And at the end of the day, I mean, not much has changed with the car. I mean, it's still not the greatest thing on the face of the earth, right? Like he, yep. I think uh, you know coming into this, and he's been running so many other different racing series. It's not like he's been removed. It's not like he was ant. Listen, Antonio Giovinazzi. Okay, let's talk about him for a second running free practice one, because that was actually really, really, really impressive because he hasn't really done anything this season, like say struggling in Formula E at the back. And that's pretty much it where Nick's been like consistently running. He's always been racing something. He's been driving something. He's been getting a lot of hands-on work with Formula One cars. He just finished coming out of the Aston Martin car in free practice one, not trying to take anything from, Nick De performance this weekend, which was really excellent, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I expected him to be where he was. He's a champion. He was a Formula Two champion. He's a Formula E champion. This isn't. Uh, I wasn't expecting anything less uh, from Nick, and uh, yeah, he was. He was great to watch. Uh, I think one of the things I was impressed with uh, the most by his performance was. Uh, The braking and just how comfortable he kind of looked in the braking zones, obviously that turned into a bit of a problem later on in the race, but uh, during the qualifying, I mean, yeah, he looked, he looked super comfortable within that, within the braking zones, which is really important when you go to a track like Monza daily.
0: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What what do they say? There's like five or six braking zones? I mean, it's basically flat out the entire lap, And I mean, you got some... Some pretty cool corners like the Lesmos, the Ascari chicane, and of course the the legendary Parabolica. You know, it, it's funny too because uh, when you see the old banking on the track there, I mean that's pretty crazy. I, I don't steep. know. I, I've been to brooklyn's <laughs> just outside of London, and they have like a preserved a section of the old track that has like that banking on the old monza And you know, when you walk up from the low side to the high side of the the, the track, I don't know what the angle is on it. I think Crofty was saying that monza was like thirty degrees. It's crazy. I would assume. I, I would. I would would. would assume that brooklyn's was probably something back in the day and they decommissioned that track like a 100 years ago it was like Mm -hmm. pre-world war ii but like i say when you walk from the low side to the high side of the track i mean your legs are burning by the time you get to the top side it's i can't imagine Uh, 100 sitting in a race car flying down that thing yeah i've I've raced
1: i've raced there so um i raced there back in i believe it was 06 i think it was uh at monza and so i got to get first-hand experience with the banking didn't get to Race on the banking, raced on yep. the obviously the big track, which was like an incredible experience all into itself. I bet. But I bet. Yeah. The, uh, the banking was no joke. I mean, I couldn't get to the top of it and I ran as hard as I could. Um, <laughs> it's extremely difficult. Yeah. And uh, it's if you go like during a, a darkish, damp day, it's very eerie to stand there, man.
0: <laughs> i bet yeah. and i bet there, there's probably like the uh i guess you, you could feel the history is one of yes. the ways that 100
1: percent. i've only yeah. felt that and like it's such a crazy feeling that a lot of people will never <laughs> get to experience but it's such a weird cool feeling that i experienced it there racing at um daytona yep uh for the 24 hours of daytona and at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway those were Yeah of
0: course three yeah. places
1: where I actually had that feeling
0: yeah, that's cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah.
1: Okay, so let's
0: um, let's fast forward to the race itself now. I'm, you know, we, we've talked about Nick for uh, DeFries being a, a standout uh, during qualifying, and I was just going to say, how mu- how was that going to be a bit of a confusing weekend in the, the the Williams garage? You had Nick and Nikki, so I mean, it's like they had to do something. Were they going by last names this weekend? They must have done. Uh, anyhow, so the race itself, it was. Um, Got up to a, a bit of an interesting start uh, as usual. There's a, a bit of drama going down into the Redefilio chicane. There, I mean, you go from start finish, and I think it's worth pointing out that Monza is not a very wide track. And then you basically throw it into the chicane, a hard right, and then a hard left, and then you go into the Curva Grande, and then into another chicane, and then. But it is. I can't imagine what it's like to be in a race car going down into that first turn at the start of the race. Maybe you can walk us the, through that through your through your own experience.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome because you're just like flying. Um, you know, for us, we did standing starts too, so uh, it was similar. But the, you know, the, one of the things is is just trying to jockey for position and making sure that you're finding a way of getting that just a bit of that outside line heading into turn one. So the first part of the first, uh, chicane, because then you kind of can muscle your way into the second turn. So the second part of that first chicane, and then you can kind of muscle somebody off the racetrack if you have to, because you're going for the exit at that point, And technically you have the racing line. So that's something that I've, o- I always tried to kind of get the car into a spot where I could make that happen uh so that's very important and then obviously the the draft as well but it was interesting with these cars this year i mean the draft wasn't that big of a factor as it was like years past i mean years past they were getting uh way better toes but this this time around with these generation of cars they just weren't but yes all of that being said i mean yeah heading down into the first chicane is a pretty wild ride when you're jockeying uh other drivers for position <laughs>
0: So I guess that's exactly what uh, what you just described is exactly what George was trying to do going down yes. in turn one at the start of the race. And then uh, he was complaining almost immediately that uh, that, uh, that Charles closed the door and forced him off the track. But I mean, having said that, I mean, George wasn't quite close enough to, to no. get the car into the corner and then try and push his way around the second corner in the chicane there. I, I knew exactly what he was doing. But uh, he, I don't. He did wasn't quite justified in complaining about that one. I was just like George, you're probably at least yeah. half a car length too yes. far back to pull that one off.
1: Yeah, I think like the, you know the Ferrari had really good, um, obviously straight line pace for sure. But you know Leclerc had a great start, and yes. it's so important when you're racing at a place like Monza to get a good start, uh, simply because that that difference is everything when you get down to that first chicane and having just those extra feet of advantage makes a massive difference so for racing at this track um and for Charles Leclerc and george russell in particular yeah there was there was no way george was going to make that happen his start just wasn't just wasn't as on as charles's was and didn't have the straight line speed advantage either and at the same time um. Yeah, Charles just was was too far ahead. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, George did the right thing, right? He, he took the the he took the bit bit of the the runoff there and continued on, tried to chase him, tried to chase him down. I mean, that's what he should. That's what anyone should do, right? At the end yep. of the day.
0: Except if it's 2021 and your name is Back, for I Verstappen, knew you were going to do that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I couldn't let that one lie. You know that that one could have come up at some point uh, or or another. But out of the the, the guys that were starting at the front of the grid, as good as Charles's start was, Lando's wasn't. So Lando was starting in P three. It looked like the anti stall kicked in, and as fast as Charles rocketed away from from the start. It looked like Lando was just going backwards. He got passed by at least mm-hmm. four cars, by my count, uh, right before they even got to the first corner. That that must have been pretty frustrating yeah. for Lando, knowing that he probably didn't have the car to challenge for a podium. But, you know, w- when you're kind of thinking, to begin with, that this is going to be a tough afternoon, but to, to lose that much ground right at the start must be so frustrating for a driver.
1: Yeah, so when... You know, for those who don't know who are listening, so when the driver goes to, you know, the grid, they have a they have a set system that they kind of have to kind of go through to get the car into a proper operating window for their standing starts. And for Lando, you know, I was I heard from Andreas Seidel, I was on a Zoom interview with him following the race, and he had mentioned that it was it was that. There was there he hadn't done this like the setup for it properly Uh, while going to the grid and being on the grid. And so that's what caused him uh, to drop back just off of the start. But I think at the end of the day, you know, hearing from Lando as well, I think they finished where they thought they were going to finish. So even though, yes, he did lose a few spots off of the start, I think he was only really going to be good for that P6, P7 range.
0: You know, it, it really is funny because at the way that you look at the way the race finished and you look at the way that the race started. I mean, if you look at the starting grid at the, at, at, at you know, obviously the, the start of the race out of the, uh, the the front runners, you got Sergio Perez after taking a penalty. He's starting in P13. Then You got Carlos and Lewis starting in P18 and 19. And then at the end of the race, by the time it's all set, said and done, after well i mean obviously it wasn't dramatic as as many other years it's still red bulls and ferraris in those top five or six uh, places it's just uh, it, it's funny how it all just uh, worked out that way it's just after it was all done 53 laps of racing you know the excuse me those two three teams all percolated to the top again it was just
1: uh, 100% right funny. and that's it's just like the way things have have always kind of gone in formula 1 with these uh, you know, engine penalties or grid penalties, right? Everything always seems to just work itself out in the end and these teams will, you know, figure it out and figure out how to get back what they lost. And so that's why it's kind of like with the grid penalties, you know, we're going to go back to that. It's just kind of like, that's why they kind of need a, a, a different type of a system because it's not, you're not really hurting anybody at the end of the day because they're going to figure it out. Uh, but then in in fact, then in comes the part where it's like, obviously we see the dominance of Red Bull, but then we're still kind of getting those top three teams being the top three teams. It's not like we're getting Red Bull and then maybe, you know, Alpine has a great weekend or maybe we sprinkle in McLaren has a good weekend and you kind of get those teams that are a bit outliers. You get them starting to come in and battle for those top six positions or even for podium positions. And I think for formula one, that's going to be really important moving forward because that's how you're going to retain your audience. Because at the end of the day, you can't, I don't think you can, I don't think formula one can sort will not survive. It'll definitely survive. But I just don't think formula One can have like races like they had today, if that makes any sense. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that it was a bad race, but it wasn't one of the most exciting ones that we've seen. And in the past few races, they haven't been that great. You know, ever since we got back from summer break, it's red Bull's been incredibly fast and they've, opened up this huge gap over, over Ferrari. And it's kind of like, well, I I don't necessarily think that that's what, you know, F1 really wants. Right. And I think they kind of want to try and find a way of getting this thing a little bit closer. So I think as the, the season progresses, but then we get into next season and by the time we kind of get maybe seven or eight races into next season, that's when I think you'll see these regulations starting to work a bit more and we maybe mm-hmm. see like a weekend where we get like a Ferrari, a Red Bull, and then McLaren or a Mercedes, Ferrari, Alpine, or just something like that every once in a while to kind of spice things up a bit.
0: Yeah, because I mean, as much as this is a brand new year, in obviously in so many ways, it's still kind of a bit of an interim year because they've introduced these new cars. And how long did we deal with the porpoising ev- uh, effect? Mm-hmm. Like literally 50% of the season until they they got that, the team sorted it out. And then they came out with that TD just about the vertical displacement and the oscillate vertical oscillation, whatever it was. I forget some of these fancy words because uh, big words and big phrases. But it's, um, yeah, I I mean, it's still a work in progress and there are going to evolve over time, but let's talk now about the race Let's just give the the the, the top 10 uh, finishers in the race classification because that will kind of set up where we're going to take it for the remainder of the pod here. So you have uh, Max uh, Verstappen winning. Charles Leclerc was second. You have George Russell coming home third on the podium for Mercedes. Carlos Sainz uh, was fourth. And then Lewis was fifth for the uh, the second Mercedes. Sergio Perez, despite having brake discs on fire early in the race, which was kind of uh, interesting. Those are great slow motion shots mm-hmm. when the, the, going into the Chiquita. Kane there yeah. after he came out of the pits, those were fantastic. So Sergio six, Lando um, eventually finishes seventh. PR Gasly uh, P eight, Nick De P nine. That was outstanding. And then Joe Guan Yu in the Alpha Romeo, he gets a P ten, which I think is a pretty decent outing for the uh, for the rookie driver. And, of course, the one thing we're going to want to talk about is that this race finished behind a safety car. I mean, if you're used to watching indie cars, you would say that this race finished under yellow. But this is not something we ever really see in Formula 1. Obviously, we see safety cars and virtual safety cars very, very regularly. But... <clears throat> excuse me this was all set up on about i think it was lap 47 danny ricardo he pulls up on the side of the track retires drops out of the race and it was at a bit of an awkward spot they tried to get the car off of the track i don't think they had some trouble doing so i think they couldn't get out of gear or something that's what it looked like anyways they do get the car uh off the track but it's just too late in the race to reorder the pack let the unlapped cars unlap themselves and then have a couple of uh, laps or maybe even one lap under green but i guess the the automatic comparison people are going to make is after the season finale in abu dhabi last year when they rightly drew a lot of criticism because the the way that they tried to finish that race decided a world championship ultimately but fast forwards almost a year later in your opinion Tim, did F1 get this one right this time around or are there still lessons to learn?
1: Well, I think they got like obviously with the rule and everything, I think they got that right, but at the end of the day, I think they got a couple more, you know, tricks in the bag that they probably could have used at that moment if they wanted to. But I think at the end of the day, um, they stuck to the they stuck to the rules and I you know, if you're, you know, a fan of the sport. I mean, obviously that's, that's a good thing, but at the end of the day, I know we all wanted to see green flag finish and some of the team principals, uh, did as, as well. And I think, you know, for the spectacle itself, I think that's something you need to go back and take a look at and take a look at the rule and also take a look at what can be changed to spice it up a bit, because I, there was a crane on the track. Um, last time we saw cars going by with a crane on the track, we, we know what happened. Um, yep, sadly. so I, yeah. And I think, you know, that, that for, that for me was the point where I was like, okay, well, yeah, you probably should red flag it if you got the crane out on the track and I didn't mm-hmm. get red flag. So I was like, okay. So the only other option for this was to finish it under safety car. Right. And. It was interesting. Like After following Abu Dhabi, um, there was a lot of discussions between teams, Formula One, the FIA, about races ending under safety car. And they looked at, I don't even know, they looked at a ton of different races since it was around like the 1990s. And it was around like 10, there's around like 10 races, I believe, uh, I'm not hundred percent certain on that stat, but it was, I believe it was around like nine or 10 races that a, a Grand Prix had ended under a safety car. So for that to happen, the statistic itself, you know, you, you wouldn't think that this would be something that's occurring, but this is actually the second time that technically probably should have happened in the yeah, last, yeah. in the last two seasons. so, I think that they need to take a look at this. Need to take a look at the rule and take a look at okay, what could we have done better so we could have gotten some like an entertaining finish. And that's not to say that the the finishing order would have changed if you do a standing start. You know, you you do get some jockeying. You might have had some teams go from say seventh to sixth or seventh to fifth or in around there. And who's to say that Leclerc doesn't get? Verstappen finally or we see a good finish there so I think it is something that they do need to take a take a peek at daily what, what do you think when you saw that go down what, what were you thinking in that moment
0: Well, what I was thinking of that moment was, you know, you don't have very many laps left. You've got like five or six laps uh, under, you know, at most, right? So if they were going to red flag that thing, they would have to, you know, wave that flag almost immediately. That decision didn't have like like two or three laps worth of time to make. And l- let's not forget that this isn't something that would have been unusual to happen at Mons. It happened only two years ago when Charles Leclerc put it into the tire barrier just coming out at the end of um, uh, oh, Parabolica. Yeah, sure. And then, but there was there was more there were more laps left in the race, and that's the 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 race that that Pierre Gasly uh, managed to uh, get his first uh, Formula One mm-hmm. win. So it, it's not unusual. But the thing was, they you know they they obviously you know they decided the way that they were going to go. And like you say, they did have other options, but the thing was whatever option they were going to do or going to use, they had to make that choice right away. So when they decided they were going to deploy the safety car, it was pretty obvious that this is the way that it's going to end now. And it was interesting after the race, Christian Horner was saying that, yeah, we didn't want to you know, win this one behind the safety car. And you know, what else is he going to say? I mean, they've, they've got a huge lead in both championships. I mean, it's uh, it no nobody wants to see that the, the drivers, the fans, the the teams themselves. It's just, it's you know, it it sucks. But unfortunately, it was just like one of those things. And but you know, like, like you say, when the train came out, or sorry, the train, the crane came out of the track. There is another level of concern that goes up because I mean, you you just kind of hinted at the last time we saw that happen was at Suzuka several years ago. That was in bad weather as Jules Bianchi slides off the track and tragically, you know, that had a very, very bad uh, outcome to it. Um, You know, it was interesting where Ricardo pulled off of the track was very similar. uh, Sebastian Vettel, he retired earlier in the race. He was just a little bit further up outside beyond the end of the Lesbos, but where Danny stopped and i don't think he had any other choice to park it than where he did it was just very very awkward and that was the difference uh, between why they had a vsc deployed for for seb and the full blown safety car for 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 ricardo like i say it sucks but that's just the way this one kind of played out this time
1: yeah it's hard to move those cars when they get stuck in gear and that's kind of what it sounds like uh yeah what happened to daniel ricardo so i mean like obviously you do need to bring that crane out and you do need to hoist it up and you do need to to get it off of off of um off of the racetrack and you know obviously it's it's uh there wasn't enough laps to even be you know run so as soon as you kind of saw the crane coming out you automatically were just like well there's no way that they can get all these cars unlapped and get them back onto the lead lap behind the train and they were only letting like So many cars go by. I mean, they did like Latifi was stuck in between, uh, first, second. He was since stuck in between like third and fourth and and, like (laughs) he's a lap down. Right. So he should have been able to let himself go and be unlapped at the same time. And they, they didn't let him go by and that was it. And so you kind of just knew that that was the direction that they were going with the race and, you know, with, um, with the two race directors as well kind of have to remember that, uh, they are somewhat, you know, new, not new to race direction, but new to doing it with, uh, formula one. And I think they'll just, you know, it's one of those things. They'll just learn from it. Right. And they'll find a better way of doing it the next time sort of deal. But yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you can kind of see, like, you remember when Michael Massey was in, like, you kind of knew that, he most likely probably would have thrown a red flag there and interpreted the rule a little bit and maybe gone back and done a standing start like in, Mm -hmm. um, uh, like in, I mean, there's a couple races that ring off the mind. I mean, like Hungary last year, uh, Azerbaijan last year. Uh, and then you go back to that year with Pierre Gasly, same sort of, uh, situation where Gasly ended up winning that race. So, Yes. I mean, like, the, that was, you know, pretty exciting. And I, and I always remembered, like, with that Azerbaijan uh, 2021 race, like, it was just felt like a one-lap <laughs> friggin' shootout, man. And it was cool. It was crazy. Well. It was fun. Yeah, it, it was fun was to so watch. Cool. So
0: yeah. Cool. Well, it, it's interesting, too, when you hear some of the comments after the race, Horner was saying, you know, there's enough time to get this thing done or to, to, to restart it. And then you have Ferrari criticizing, saying that they they should have done a better job. And, Of course, I mean, everybody was kind of... The the comments I felt post-race, whoever it came from, they they kind of felt... It was, let's just say it was what I expected each team or each driver was going to say depended, or depending where they finished and and how it was. It was just kind of, it, it was bizarre to kind of see it happen. But I mean, the FIA's explanation was uh, basically that, you know, it was a safety issue. And when it's a safety issue, it has, you know, that takes precedence over everything else. That's the, the most important thing. And it doesn't really matter if it's lap one or it's the last lap. That's what we have to, to take into account uh, most of all. But uh, one of the things uh, following the race was uh, there was a fair amount of booze leveled at uh, Max Verstappen uh max uh being you know fairly you know chill about it he said that the italian that the, 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 the foci the ferrari fans booing him wasn't going to spoil his day and ultimately that just uh, brings him one race closer to wrapping up this championship which he could do in just uh, a couple of weeks at the next race in singapore uh your thoughts on uh, on max's comments uh about uh, being booed after the race
1: yeah and the post-race press conference he didn't seem too concerned about it even though saying that it wasn't a nice part of the atmosphere because obviously with monza and that podium it's one of the craziest podiums probably the best podium in all of you know formula one racing and for for max having to stand up there and to receive that not necessarily booze against him but more Mm -hmm. along the lines of booze against the FIA for not finishing that one under under a green flag. I mean, I don't. Uh, I've said this before on this show plenty of times, where it's like I'm not a big fan of booing. I don't think you should be booing athletes. Shouldn't be booing anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, everyone within the teams, the FIA, uh, the drivers, the crews. I mean, it's also your insulting them at the same time not only just the driver right because these guys all work these guys and girls work really really hard and yeah i just find all that i just find it very disrespectful
0: so not to be too glib about it so what you're saying is don't hate the player hate the game is that uh, basically C- what you get <laughs> yeah but i mean you know joking aside I'm, i mean <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand the fans' uh, frustration, and uh, yeah, I, I don't like to see that uh, mm-hmm. sort of thing either. It's like you know, at times like last year, you have different uh, sort of factions of fans booing yeah. Lewis on the podium or booing Max. Yeah, you know, hey, I, I get it, you love your guy, you're back, your guy all the, the you know all the way, but you know, let let us keep it classy by the time sure. it's uh, all said and done. 100%. Uh, before we uh, wrap it up, because I I, I want to talk uh, quickly again about uh, Nick DeFreese and his uh, fantastic finish. Charles basically summed it up saying that despite the safety car and the finish behind uh, under yellow flags, he basically said that uh, his fate in the race was sealed before what he said was a frustrating finish. What else can you let us know about uh, Charles uh, and his summations and thoughts on the day?
1: Yeah, they just threw everything that they could at Red Bull and whatever they did, it just it, it didn't work and even taking a a different type of a strategy compared to what the red bulls were going to run because they knew that they were going to be quick and race trim anyways. So they had to try and find different ways of being creative and getting it done. I mean, I think at the, at the end of the day, I mean, the strategy, it plot, it played out as best as it could. I don't think they, they didn't mess anything up strategically wise you know this time around. Um, I just think that at the end of the day, like you've, You've, uh, you've done everything you kind of can at this point. And obviously you're going to have to concede this championship, which they most likely already have. I think at the end of the day, it's time to start looking at 2023 and what can you bring to this car to kind of, you know, take it to that next level. And I think that's where that development needs to go for, you know, the final two races, because let's be honest here, you're not going to get new parts to, uh, this car to experiment with for next season until, let's say, the end of October. Uh, so I think there's things like that they should probably start looking at in, in, in those terms. But this weekend was a huge, you know, weekend on on their calendar, having this one circled. And, you know, coming into it, Leclerc and, and Carlos, they had done so many different media obligations. They'd done different car launches. You know, they were in different parts of Italy in the buildup. To this weekend. It was such a special weekend um, for Ferrari. And obviously, this isn't the way they wanted it to, to end. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're up against a driver who's just absolutely at the top of his game at the moment and a team that's right beside him.
0: Yeah. I mean, there, there's no. I guess questioning why Red Bull has won so many championships for both drivers and constructors championships over the past 15 years or so. I mean, they won one last year, obviously they're going to win two this year. I mean, unless something weird happens and and it's not, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not go there, but it's just, I, I mean, it's going to be frustrating for Ferrari. It's got to be frustrating for Charles. I mean, Carlos, I think did a phenomenal job to finish up where he did considering the you know the the big hurdle that he was faced with starting at the back of the grid because of the penalties that he had to had to overcome but like you say this is a date that they circled in their calendar it is going to be there every year <clears throat> and the big man himself john elkin the chairman of uh, ferrari yeah. was there and I mean, which you would expect. And now this is going to be an interesting one because he gave Mattia Bonato what I always say, the kiss of death. He said, he's our guy. Yes, we've had some problems, but you know, we're, we're going to stick with him. And it's the same thing. It's like anytime you have like the president come out and say, or the, the, the GM saying, this is the coach. We're sticking with him with the end of the year. You, usually that guy gets fired. So yeah. I, I don't know what to make of it, but it was, uh, uh, I, I, hope- I just
1: it was kind of Saturday. I think it was Saturday morning. He, uh, he had said that, um, and you know, you know, when you hear that and you're listening to that, I'm just like, what does that mean?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
1: at the end of the day, like, I don't think like getting rid of Matteo Bonotto is your answer. That's not going to solve anything. He's gotten you this far he's built the team up like this much considering where he got it. Like he got it when it was like at the depths, like they didn't have a real good engine program anymore because they got caught like technically air quotations cheating. So it's like, yeah. what was he supposed to do? I think at the <laughs> end of the day, this guy has done a really good job to get them to where they are. And it's like, we have talked about ad nauseum is that, they need to take a look at the strategy room and what the hell is going on in there, and just get it sorted out. I'm not saying you go in there and you know clear everyone out, but you go in there and you make some structural changes or give some more support. Do whatever you have to do to get that sorted out in the off season. I don't think replacing Matia Bonotto is your answer. So when I heard that, I was kind of like, mm, I don't think you really want to let him go. I mean, because you don't no, really have the- anyone who's going to replace him. So.
0: Let him finish the job that he started. If he gets to the point, say, "Yeah, I've done everything that I want to do. The organization, the way is, or I built it in the way that I want it." And you still have problems? Sure, then that's a, a legitimate question to, to be asked. But I, I just had to to chuckle a little bit on that. But also Charles's comment, I thought it was just. Another indication that, you know, Ferrari guys, we love you, but this just isn't going to be your year. I mean, it seems that, you know, the racing gods just aren't with them and it's it's been... It's, they've been hit from every angle this year, so hopefully, from from their point of view, that they've got a lot of good data, they've had a lot of good learning experiences that they can correct some of the things that have happened on the track and off the track, and then uh, you know put that into planning for, for for next year. I know that sounds very anticlimactic and maybe a little bit defeatist, well, considering we still have a bunch of races for this year. But I think <laughs> you gotta maybe start looking down the road a bit. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
1: Oh yeah, the lead yeah. like that. That championship, like that. That second place is still up for grabs. So if you're a Ferrari, yep. even though they won't say it, they have to be a little bit concerned with Mercedes. For Mercedes, like they're they're going for it, man. Like they're not backing off. They're they're coming for second place in this championship standings. Hearing from George Russell afterwards, you know he, he was basically saying, "Look, the expectations for Red Bull, they were accurate, but." Uh, they felt a bit caught off from Ferrari's race pace. They didn't expect it to be as uh, strong as it was. And I guess, you know, if you're Charles Leclerc or or Carlos Sainz or, you know, Mattia Minotto, you're you're happy that George, you're hearing George kind of say that because you know that you're starting to kind of find your feet just that little bit that's going to give you that extra little bit of something that's going to get – that's going to, that's, that's going to get you past. But the one thing that, you know, George did say is he thinks that Singapore should suit their car. So that'll
0: be interesting. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we'll, we'll go to down see the,
0: what happens there.
1: <laughs> oh, totally. And we'll go
0: down the constructors in a moment here, but just as a bit of a spoiler, there's only about 25 points between Ferrari and Mercedes and the constructors in the moment And let's let's be honest. Compared to the drivers' championship, twenty five points in the constructors is not that big Mm -mm. of a gap. So I mean, this is on between these two teams all the way to the end of the season. So I mean, as much as the 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 top of both the championships is is pretty much uh, decided. I mean, this is one of these kind of like subplots that definitely is worth uh, watching because I think that uh, a lot of attention can be focused on Ferrari. And Mercedes over the remaining number of races, and and see the battles that are going to go, go on between these uh, two sets of uh, drivers. So uh, just quickly, uh, before we uh, wrap this one up, uh, Nick DeFries, the, uh, the, the the rookie driver, we talked about him earlier in the show, great uh, uh, performance and qualifying, brings it home in P9, but it wasn't... He didn't get off completely squeaky clean. He did have a bit of a conversation with the uh, with the stewards afterwards for what was called, and he was actually reprimanded for erratic driving yes. uh, during mm-hmm. the race. So he did manage to, to hang on to that without any further penalties, but not without a bit of a, you know slap on the knuckles. Slap
1: yeah, the, the wrist. big yeah exactly. And I think a big thing for for Nick and getting um getting that penalty uh issued to him was you know simply because he was working with with that brake pedal. And one of the reasons for that was like uh his display in the dash it was showing that he was, you know, at, at risk of, of being under the Delta time. This was during, uh, the safety car. And at the same time he was dealing with, you know, brake issues. He was in radio communication, you know, with the team over, over the issues. So he didn't get any advice from the team in relation to his Delta. So therefore he had to you know, reduce the speed in order to remain above, uh, that lap Delta time. So that's, what happened and how he got caught off by that, just getting onto the brake pedal a little bit too hard to try and stay within that Delta, uh, that Delta time. So, yeah, I mean, you know what, at the end of the day, it's just like the team needs to communicate better on on that end. Uh, and that's simply how the, all that goes down. And I'm quite actually confused by that because you have a technically rookie in your car You you should be feeding him as much data as, as possible. Uh so we'll just mm-hmm. leave that there. Uh but at the end of the day, I mean, on the positive side, like he did a great job uh with this with this team, with this car um for the for this weekend. And yeah, I mean to score points on your first time out in an F1 car, like in a in a Grand Prix, it's pretty good. I mean, pretty good. He he I mean, he did a great job. You take your hat off to him. The team really likes him. Yeah. Be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see if this is kind of like An audition, and not for Williams, but for Alpine, where it's kind of like Alpine has a seat available. Devries' name has come up, and they're probably looking now at 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 Nick Devries and what he did on the Sunday. And I think in 2023, we're going to see this guy on the grid, which team he's going to be with. I mean, that's going to be the question because it kind of sounds like he's opened that door to a few other teams coming and having some conversations with he and Total Wolf.
0: Well, you know, by the time that this one was over, the 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 one guy that it kind of drew a parallel with um, between himself and and Nick De Vries was uh, Stoffel Vandoorne. Back in 2015, he comes in, he uh, d- gets to debut at the uh, the the Grand Prix in Bahrain. Oh yeah, that's uh, Fernando right. has that huge crash at the opener in Australia, which was horrifying. Massive. I mean, just completely destroyed the the the, the car. And, you know, Fernando, I mean, I think if he had his way, he had a race, but, uh, you know, they made him uh, sit at least one race out. Stoffel gets in the car, had a pretty good weekend. He, I think he got P10 in that. So he brings home, uh, you know, he gets some points out of that one, which was uh, great to see. But the point is, he was able to convert that. Like you say, that it it was an audition. That's the perfect uh, word. He was able to convert that into a drive with McLaren. Unfortunately, in the long term, Stoff didn't stick in Formula One. And I think that his opportunity just kind of, came at the wrong time because when he was with the McLaren was kind of at their their low point this is when they when Honda was just coming back into the sport there was obviously big issues with that power unit there was big issues with the McLaren themselves but uh, you know more to the point the parallel I'm trying to draw here Between uh, Stoffel and Nick DeFries is that they they both came in, deputized for a driver, the regular driver, and both uh, did something with it. And, you know, my my takeaway from this is he had a great weekend and his stock has to have uh, risen quite a bit. So I I completely agree with you. It's like I think we'll see this guy in a car next year. Pardon me. Excuse me. We will see this guy in a car next year. It's just like, what color is this car going to be?
1: Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent.
0: Okay, well, let's start uh, wrapping it up right here. We uh, we teased about it a little bit uh, earlier, so let's just uh, go down the uh, the Constructors' uh, Championship uh, right now. Uh, Red Bull leading the way. They are a light year ahead of everyone else. They have 100- 545 points. Ferrari 406, Mercedes 371, Alpine way, way back. There's a lot of daylight between Mercedes and Alpine, 125 points there. Then you have McLaren 107 rounding out the top five in the Constructors' On the driver's side, like I said, uh, Max can wrap this one up as early as the week after next at Singapore. Going to be great to go back to Singapore for the first time in a couple of years next currently sitting on 335 Charles 219 Sergio 210 George Russell 203 points Carlos Sainz 187 and then Lewis 168 so i mean i i i must admit i didn't look at those points uh you know it didn't strike me as as much as it did on the constructor side but is this cool and fun is going to be watch that battle between Mercedes and Ferrari going down the stretch here? How about the three-way battle between Charles, Sergio, and George going down to the wire here at Abu Dhabi in a couple of months? I mean, there's only 16 points separating all three drivers, so that is probably going to change at some point. So who finishes up where is going to be a lot of fun to watch. So. I
1: still can't believe that Mercedes, like George Russell is like in the running for potentially finishing P2 in the driver's standings, you know what I'm saying? Like at the beginning of the year where that car was, man. And now I know where he is. That's a fantastic drive this season, you know, from, from George Russell, especially when you have a teammate like Lewis Hamilton. I mean, this is some some impressive stuff from George. Oh, absolutely. Very, very impressive. And I just, I, you know, I keep telling, I've told everyone for years. I mean, I, I marked George up as, one of if not the best qualifier in formula one and now i'm starting to look at him as a racing driver because there were times in his career i'm just like you know why he doesn't really have the the racing chops you know down right now but man this season he's been incredible daily oh jeez well, what about at the time there back
0: in 2020 when he filled in for Lewis when Lewis was out uh, of the Sakir Grand Prix when he had COVID and down going into turn one, he put the elbows out and pushed Valtteri Bottas out of the way. I mean, just that weekend, Valtteri was de facto number one, right? Because Lewis wasn't there. George, uh-uh, I'm not having any of that. I see a bit of daylight. I'm going for this one. I mean, ultimately, that that was it didn't turn out for him in the end because, uh, I mean, there was that uh, you know botched pit stop and everything like that. But, I mean, George... George... George, I I mean, there's no doubt that this guy's a talented uh, race driver, and I think he's, uh, you know, as much as maybe Ferrari's looking towards uh, next year, I think George must be as well. I mean, he's had some great finishes and great results uh, this year, but... I think he's uh, really looking forward and hoping that you know that that the car they come out with next year is going to be an order of magnitude better than the W13 this year because I don't think there's any question that this guy is a race winner in in waiting. I mean, he's got all the the skills and the talent to do it. It's just it's not if it's absolutely when it's going to happen for George and, Russell,
1: and that's going to be tough for Lewis. And there's going to be points where he might not like that. Oh uh, yeah. Especially definitely. if the car, especially if the car is really competitive. I mean, yep. that's what I just get so impressed by with George where it doesn't matter who's in the other the other side. His confidence in himself and his work ethic and not to say that you know Hamilton or any of these other teammates don't have those things, but with George he just he just takes things to such a competitive level that he just scraps and grinds and literally squeezes every ounce of performance that he can find in every race car that he drives in. He just finds it and gets it and just rings it, rings it out of it. And it's just, I just love watching that. I love watching that hunger. I love watching that desire. It reminds me a lot of what Lewis does as well. And yep, I uh, I look forward to watching these two those two drivers compete against each other in 2023 at Mercedes, um, simply because, you know, that's one hell of a driver lineup. Absolutely no, incredible.
0: You're not kidding. I mean, if they, if they can get the car to match the the, the talent that they have in the car, <sighs> boy, watch out, watch out. I mean, everybody Man. should be looking over their shoulders and worrying what Mercedes is going to come out with in, in 2023. I mean, obviously, they've kind of written this year off as far as championships, but... This is not a team that lays down and takes setbacks very lightly at all. So you know that they're not looking at the next exit on the freeway. They're looking at two or three mm-hmm. or four down the road and looking towards uh, next season. But that's another conversation for another day. Tim, buddy, this was fun as always. Before we let everybody one go here, just remind everyone where they can find you online, social media, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you want more, uh, TSN racing pod, again, you get it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, give us a follow on, on Spotify and a five-star rating. Cause it really helps us a lot. And same with Apple podcasts. If you could write a review, that would be incredible. Um, if you want me on social media, it's at Tim Haraney and yeah, daily. Thanks man for, um, for doing this. This was a lot of fun. I, I you know, like always, buddy, I love doing this every Sunday night. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know, right? You know, it's always like you say, it's always fun doing this. I'm just looking at the calendar here on the uh, on, on on in the software. We pulled out almost an hour out of a race that wasn't really all that eventful. Man, so we were you literally know, pat, sitting down, pat man, on the is, back here. Yeah, we were
1: literally <laughs> before we went to record. We're like, yeah, this is only take a half an hour. You know, won't we'll yeah. be too long. And I'm like, good, we'll good. I got long. a lot of other things to record. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm I an know.
0: hour into it. Okay, I got <laughs> the hint, buddy. We it's time to cut it off here so I <laughs> can send it. you the files for, for, for posting, and I'll do that just a moment. So to get us, we're Scootery F1 Pod. You can find us on social media at Scootery F1 Pod everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those good places as well. And that's it. That's a wrap. Look for, for more from us, more from Tim and the TSN Racing Pod in the days ahead. And of course, we'll be back after the next Grand Prix in Singapore and many times in between for looks, uh, look for us in. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you again real, real soon. Bye for now.